Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, January 29th. I am your host, Cheats. I am joined, as always, with by my co-host, Gigi Broadway, is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? Feeling amazing. A lot going on. We have an amazing show coming up. Uh, we sit down and talk to David Harris, who is the nephew of Arthur Ashe, along with his colleague, Dontrese Brown. And they're going to talk to us about the renaming of Boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Nice. So that's a wonderful conversation coming up. I have a very quick phone call with author Kristen Green, a celebrated author here in Richmond. She is moderating a panel tomorrow night that's wednesday night at the firehouse theater for the james river writers i am going to be on that panel and the panel is about balancing your writing and your work life oh that's a good topic what do you think about that Gigi? oh that is a necessary discussion how do you go about balancing your writing (laughs) (laughs) yikes it's only a matter of time how do you go about balancing your writing and your work Maybe you should ask me after the panel because I might need some pointers. It's hard, man. Well, we'll do all of that. So we'll talk to Kristen Green. We'll talk to David Harris and Dontrese Brown. There's just a lot going on. Yesterday, teachers flooded the Capitol. Thousands of teachers flooded the Capitol to lobby for more money. I know Richmond Superintendent Jason Cameras was out there. I know the Richmond Teacher of the Year nominee was out there. So big shout out to all of those teachers yeah we the government shutdown is over people are back to work finally so we're going to talk about a couple of things that we uh want to discuss in regards to all of that <laughs> and, our, and our big topic has to be this dueling documentaries on what is the tragedy that is firefest <laughs> fire festival and the scam and if you haven't followed this we'll try to catch you up to speed on the Firefest fiasco that really has consumed pretty much my last two weeks. <laughs> it is the Chiefs movement on WRIR, but first, as always, Dipset. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. It is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway's in the building. Gigi. Yo. What do we we start with? I know what I want to start with. I know. I have to start with this. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, in this section of we see it (laughs) or we don't see it, if you haven't been following... There are dueling documentaries out right now. You can actually go and watch these if you own one or both of these services. There is a documentary called Fire Fraud that is on Hulu, which I have seen. Gigi Broadway, you have not seen. Not that one, no. Then there is Fire, the greatest party that never happened, <laughs> what a documentary on Netflix, which Gigi Broadway, you have seen. I have seen it. So to catch everybody up to speed, there are duly documentaries, one on Hulu, one on Netflix, both of them about the 2017 Fire Festival that was organized by basically serial con man Billy McFarlane. Ser- Ouch. Serial con man entrepreneur Billy McFarlane. Jeez. And rapper Ja Rule of Murder Eek fame. 
Murder Inc. Murder Inc.'s Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane actually had elaborate plans to make what would have been the greatest festival in the history of music festivals of all time on Pablo Escobar's <laughs> former island with giant, like, just amazing acts, great luxury villas. Only one slight problem, GG. Mm. The festival didn't exist. <laughs> it was such a good idea, though, wasn't it? Could you imagine? Even, I mean... Sir, <sighs> sir, talk to me. You watched the Netflix documentary. What was your read on everything that went on with Fire Festival? First of all, you have a different take than I do instantly, right? Because you don't believe it was a scam at the beginning. I feel like it was just a very ambitious idea, but I feel like he really wanted to make it happen originally. Right. Yeah. And then you know? it just it just You don't you think know? he had no intentions on making that festival happen? No, I believe I I'm with you on that. I believe when the idea came to Ja <laughs> When the idea came to Ja Rule and the idea came to Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule together. I do believe that they wanted to put on the greatest festival that has ever happened in the Bahamas with luxury. I believe all of that to my core. I also believe very early on, they realized that it won't add up. The dollars won't add up. The cents won't add up. The acts won't add up. The island won't add up. I believe very early on that all of this wasn't adding up. And instead of pulling the plug, and saying, hey, we should wait a year, we should wait two years, this is way too much for us. That's when it went to somewhere else. And it went fraud, and it went illegal, and they were, you know, moving money over here and faking money over here. I mean, spoiler alert, Billy McFarland's in jail as we speak. Right now. (laughs) For fraud. Federal prison. (laughs) So, I mean... I do think very early on they realized that they had bitten off more than they could chew. And instead of correcting it, they just not just doubled down. What did they do? They doubled, tripled, quadrupled. I feel like they were just trying. Like they were just grabbing for life vests. Like they were trying to make it happen every step of the way. You know why I think it went wrong? Is when they got kicked <laughs> off of Pablo's house. <laughs> for, uh, uh, for people that are listening, it went wrong everywhere. Every it went, went wrong everywhere. I feel like it didn't go totally wrong until they got kicked off of Pablo's Island. And then they had to like make a whole island change. I think that's when it just fell apart. So here's the thing. because And, and, there, and, and a lot of people ask this. Because I, since I've watched both documentaries, a lot of people do ask this. What is the difference between the Hulu documentary and the Netflix documentary? I gotta know. And for the people that are um, kind of following this really closely, you know that Hulu... No matter all of the stuff that happened, Hulu actually paid Billy McFarlane somewhere between a hundred thousand dollars or more to be in his in the, to interview in the Hulu documentary. So the difference, the big difference is, Hulu paid Billy McFarlane to actually do a sit down interview for like eight hours. They paid him a lot of money. Wow. Uh, I think most reports are saying down around one hundred twenty-five thousand. It was it was at one point listed up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That just blew my mind. The diff so. The other one, the Netflix documentary, actually paid Jerry Media, which is the social media company. They're executive producers of the Netflix one. 
And so that's why the Netflix one has all of the footage, mm. all of the behind the scenes footage, all of the private conversations, because they were filming. They were the ones responsible for filming all the footage. That was smart. So the Netflix documentary paid the media company. The Hulu documentary paid Billy McFarlane. Both of them are, are very damning on McFarlane. They're damning on Ja Rule. I mean, the guy is a really, it's a, he's a scammer. Um, what the Hulu documentary, since they don't have as much footage as the Netflix documentary, what they did was they kind of told the backstory of Billy McFarlane and Magnesis, which is his first company, yeah. that also was a scam. That also, it might have started with good intentions, but it also failed, and then he wound up being a fraud, basically. So the Hulu documentary has more on like the overall arc and genesis of McFarlane, the Netflix documentary has way more on like Fire Festival and how it completely flamed out. Both of them are good. I would actually watch the Hulu documentary first so you get a backstory on Magnesis and all that and oh, then okay. watch the Netflix one because that the Netflix one is what really stands out. That you know that's the one that has the Baham, you know the, the the workers from the Bahamas and saying how, you know, all of the none of them got paid. None Not of the day all. laborers got paid. None of the people on the island got paid. Not for a day. I mean, no, no one really got paid. Um, and it was, it, it is an amazing. So, the other thing I'll say about this whole thing is that as soon as I finished watching the Hula documentary with my wife, I literally took a day, and the next morning I wrote on the Cheats Movement blog my opinions on white privilege, basically. <laughs> Because here's the thing, I don't think, I mean, Billy McFarlane is a young entrepreneur, but he, he's, a, he's a white guy. That's, I mean, for whatever it is, attractive white guy for people that may like that, you know. Yeah, he's pretty charismatic. And he's very charismatic. He had no track record whatsoever of being able to pull off any of this festival type stuff. He had no track record, and he was just, he was a... He used his privilege to con so many people in so many different ways, and I, and I and I did lay it out a little bit more in um, in the article. But it was like this guy's getting loans with no no millions. He's, out of he's getting he's getting yeses where a ton of folks would have got noes. Uh, even to the fact of how he uh, was able to coalesce even people from the island. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but Ja Rule, who's famous, who has platinum hits in records, gold records, wouldn't have gotten off that island in the Bahamas and been like, this is all the things I'm going to do. And the, and the people give him, even being famous, it was one of those things where uh, Billy McFarlane really showed off his privilege and he used it in, in the kind of the worst way humanly possible. We did, we mentioned this briefly. The government shutdown is now officially over, right? Yes. Did we learn anything from this whole experience? That it cost us eleven billion dollars to shut down a government for how many days? This is a little bit over thirty. Over thirty. Yeah, yeah. Longest shutdown in the history of the government. The most pointless thing I've encountered it's, in a minute. The shutdown is over now. For now. For now, they've got a couple weeks. The president has given everyone three weeks to figure it out. However, he still wants the wall. 
Democrats still are very strongly against the wall, right? The House, the House Democrats very strongly the though. They're not just kind of like no. on the fence. They're no. very adamant about like. So I don't want to get too much into that part of it. We know where that stands. What I do want to talk to you about is a, is another topic that I do not think we're necessarily going to see eye to eye on. Oh gosh. There's already a number of people running for president. Yes. My wife is. has said this week that. A lifelong Starbucks drinker <laughs> says that if Howard Schultz enters the race as an independent candidate, she will no longer drink Starbucks. And she means it. I don't know if she means it. I, I would have know. to ask her if she means it. Panera I, makes some good coffee. She can switch over. I, I don't know if she means She's a lifelong Starbucks drinker. Since I've known her, she's been drinking Starbucks. She's drank Starbucks. And the idea of Howard Schultz running as an independent candidate does, does not sit well with her. Wow. That's not the point here. The point here is there's a bunch of people running. One of the people that is running has caused a lot of stir early on in the circles that you and I are around. Uh, I would say a lot of stir in the African-American community. Kamala Harris, U.S. Senator out of California, just in, just had she announced on Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday. Conveniently, yeah. No, Great play was, on, on the black people. Go ahead and announce it on MLK Day. That's the first strike. That is not a strike. That's that is a strike. A, that is a that is honoring the legacy of a man that has activism. That's pandering at for, its finest. How, how again? This mm. this is another thing that oh I don't God. fully understand in the sense of Kamala Harris is black. She's always been kind of sorta. No, 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 kind of sorta. She's African. She is a black person. And she had Indian. Uh, th- again, yeah. she's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's mm-hmm. black. Yeah. <laughs> And so she's a black uh, U.S. senator out of California. She went to Howard. Oops. She's, a, she's an AKA. It's the fa- I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying. No, no, no. I'm just saying that the people that question, uh, you know, her her roots uh, in regards to ties to the black community, I, I, it just it's mind boggling to me. We'll I'm talk. Not we'll, we'll talk about this. <laughs> we'll talk about this. So. Uh, Senator Harris, Kamala Harris, had 20,000-plus out in Oakland for her announcement last week. Please. And here's the thing. This is this is the thing I wanted to bring up with you because Chris Rock tells a joke. And, and, and I don't know if it's an official joke, but I, I heard Chris Rock say this one time. And he, and he said, basically, baseball, he was talking about the integration of baseball. Okay. And so Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in 1947. And he goes, and everybody celebrates, right? And so they're like, Jackie broke the color barrier, everything's good. However, Chris Chris Rock goes on to say, like, that doesn't make it equal. Like, Jackie Robinson was one of the best baseball players in the, in the history of the world, and so he was selected to break the color barrier. We all celebrate, but that doesn't make it equal. He's like, baseball doesn't get equal till probably, like, the late 70s, early 80s. And he says, "That's you know why? He says, that's because when you start to see bad baseball players. He's like, <laughs> equ- and it's a good point. He's like, equality isn't the best of the best getting through and being able to, you know, play on the field with other people. It's like having the ability to be as equally as bad that's true. <laughs> as everyone else. I say, I bring this up because this, this is what it reminds me of. Kamala Harris is now running for president. In like the instantly, I would say probably within the first three to four to five days, we start to see 
really heavy kind of negative articles. A lot of them coming from Democrats, progressives, African Americans mm-hmm. that are just really looking hard and scrutinizing uh, Kamala Harris. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, mm-hmm. like, either one of two things is going on. One, which we all know, is women candidates do get judged extremely hard. Because we saw that with Hillary Clinton. We just saw, like, they, they get they get judged very hard. Black women probably get judged doubly hard, right? Mm-hmm. But but the interesting thing I was trying to figure out, and you, <laughs> you can tell me, if, I'm trying to figure out, is the criticism that we get for Harris... Is that something we should start to say, like, like, like it's saying is like, is that more of a stretch to equality? Like, yeah, it's like, we're not like the community, black community in general, isn't just going to accept any black candidate post Obama. Mm -hmm. So is that a good thing that she's getting a lot of, you know, getting a lot of criticism? I honestly think that she's getting a lot of criticism that white males don't get, particularly Bernie Sanders. Uh, not. I think she's gotten raked over the coals way more than Beta O'Rourke out in Texas. Okay. I think there's just a whole lot of, you know, she is getting a lot of heat. And I don't know if it's the heat because she's a woman. I don't know if it's because she's a black woman. I think all of it has to do with play with it. But also, is it, I think she's gotten more heat in the first week than Obama got. Yeah, you know why? <laughs> <laughs> do tell. Because, and this is just me and maybe a lot of my uh, conscious community uh, people out there, but it's like Obama, it, it's kind of like, okay, you, you fooled us once with this, you know, idea of a black candidate that was just going to push us forward, right? And he definitely didn't do that. So it's like, okay, now here she comes, like with all of her, all of her wrongful conviction upholding and um prison reform like not supporting like her actions don't her actions already before we even know what her platform is or what she's planning on doing it's already she has she has strikes against her already and we're we're tired of it we're not going to take any black candidate now and i think it's great but is her strikes being judged more harshly than say Joe Biden strikes or Bernie Sanders strikes or Elizabeth Warren strikes or like is she getting more criticism than the other candidates that have said they're either announcing or interested in announcing for running president probably so I'll be honest probably because you know that's to be expected of them but we I think we're holding our black candidates to a higher standard because we're tired but is that fair that's not fair. It's life. Is is it fair? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It is fair because... How is that fair? That's not fair. You have a certain... I'm not going to say you have a certain obligation to, you know, whatever's best best for the people, not just singling out a race, but what's best for everybody. I get it. But come on now. I mean, we it's some, some changes got to come. And we can't have another eight years of, I feel like, promises or hope of a more progressive election time or, you know, the time that they serve. But I, it's just, it's not so enough. You lived, here's the thing. You lived with two years of Trump to an extent now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, is this just like, we're, are we still sticking with the people running for president and everybody is uh, 
is going to be better than Trump. Because that, I mean, definitely, I'm definitely starting with the premise that whoever comes out of this field, I'm probably voting for. Uh, no, it's no, there is no way. <laughs> it is safe to say on air that there is no way I would ever cast a vote for Donald Trump. So whoever comes out of this, I'm pro- I'm voting for the other person. That's pretty much, yeah. That That's a given. It, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. This is Tuesday, January 29th, and I am so excited because I have a special guest on the phone who I will be joining uh, I will be joining her tomorrow, Wednesday, if anyone is available at the Firehouse Theater. I'm joined by Kristen Green, who will be moderating a panel uh, about writing and balancing writing and life. Kristen, if you don't know, is the author of Something Must Be Done about Prince Edward County. A really, really exciting, uh, just, I don't know when, Kristen, you can tell me, welcome to the program, you can tell me when your actual book was released. I know it's been extremely well received all across Virginia. Oh yeah, it was released in 2015, a nonfiction book. And I am here now working with James River Writers. Um, I'm a former board member, and this program on Monday night, or on Wednesday night, sorry, is part of their ongoing writing show where they host events monthly at the Firehouse Theater to help um, local writers learn more about writing strategies. Um, and in this particular event that we're so excited to have you part of this panel <laughs> i i looked at the panel i'm woefully underqualified i rem- I just i will tell i'll throw that out there now aren't we all but but since uh you will be moderating this panel for the james river writers uh tomorrow when tomorrow night um let me ask you you won't probably get a chance to answer yourself uh in front of the public so i'll ask you on the air how do you balance your life in writing um, I get up early in the morning to write and I, uh, try to fit in writing during the day while my kids are in school. I'm actually writing and researching full time now, so I'm lucky to be able to do that. And that's why some of the other panelists, you, Valley Haggard, who's the, um, founder of Life in 10 Minutes and Rachel Beanland, who's the deputy director of Visual Arts Center of Richmond, um, are kind of more qualified at this point to talk about this topic than I am, but I used to squeeze it in while being a, a newspaper reporter. Right, right. Um, but yeah, but they all have their own strategies about how they, you know, find time to try to achieve their dream of, of writing, you know, writing books. And, and Valley, in her case, um, you know, founded a podcast and a press, and you, you, have a, you have a podcast and you have a website, so you find time outside of your full-time jobs to sure. be able to, to to put work into this creative thing that you love. And so that's we're going to be talking about how you make that time, how you make that a priority, make that part of your life. And there's something really exciting to me about any, any creative. There's something exciting about community. Uh, you mentioned you are a board member uh, of a former board member of the James River Writers. They offer this program monthly. But talk to us a little bit about just kind of the writing community in Richmond and how James River Writers plays a part in that. Oh, James River Writers kind of offers so many different you know strategies for you to get involved in the writing community. I mean, I joined James River Writers when I moved to town in 2010 and made some of my best writing connections and friends like by attending their annual conference, which is 
like a great bargain as far as writing conferences go and super hands-on you know there's like these amazing agents and editors who you can just talk to while you're serving yourself a lunch at you know um or at any of the panels it's really low-key and um it's just we have and we have so many talented writers here in richmond who are super generous with their time so i think the the annual conference is a big thing but this uh, monthly writing show which is held most months um on the last Wednesday of the month is a way to kind of get practical advice on kind of really more specific things. And every month has a theme. And then they do all these other cool things like where they offer master classes and they have a bunch of networking events sure. um, throughout the region. And so there's some, you know, you kind of can do as much or as little as you want. And that's one thing that I love, James Rohr. We just have such a vibrant and um, generous writing crew here in Richmond, and that's just been such a, you know, such a nice surprise. And it's it just feels like everyone is super supportive of each other, and and we, you know, really are open to all levels of people. Um, and my good friend Melissa Scott Sinclair, who I met, who's one of the, the people that I met when I first um, joined James River Writers, right when I moved to town in 2010. She is the one who she's a board member now, putting on um, this writing show. So. Uh, it's, it's she's an, the one planning it. It's an amazing network. It's an amazing community. It's really exciting um, for kind of this area in Richmond to have such a resource of the James River Writers. Let me ask you this before I get you out of here, Kristen. Um, you'd mentioned now you're, you're uh, in a position where you're researching and writing full time. Even with that, there always comes that challenge of motivation. <laughs> if you will, um, what would you say uh, is com- some of the best advice you got for people that might be listening that, that you know, have hit a rut, not necessarily as motivated? Um, how do you kind of pull yourself in and out of motivation when y- you even have the time to do it? Well, I feel like the, the routine is the way you really get, if you want to write a book or you have some creative project you want to do, the routine of doing it daily or almost daily is really the only way you can kind of work through those ruts just mm-hmm. by by having the practice in your life. But I also think sometimes you just need to get engaged with other people who share your interest. And so going to something like James River Writers where there might be something that sparks you know, your interest or you meet somebody with common goals who wants to, you know, read your stuff and you read theirs or there's some nugget of an idea that really speaks to you. Um, I think that can really help move you along. And I found for me that in every stage of the process, when I moved here, I knew I wanted to write the book about Prince Edward County. Every stage of the process that I was in, James River Writers could really provide that information, could speak to where I was in the process. And so that was incredibly valuable. Um, so I say, I say establish routine and, and be engaged in the community when you need it. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to work alone, but but sometimes you really do need that engagement of community to help help you move the process along because it is kind of a lonely job. <laughs> but that's an exciting, uh, that's exactly right. And it's an exciting uh, opportunity that all of us, if anyone that's listening here in Richmond has the opportunity to come by tomorrow night. We're at the Firehouse Theater. It is a James River Writers series, a monthly series, but this one will be actually talking specifically about balancing your writing with all the other things you have to do with <laughs> in your life. So I'm excited that Kristen will be moderating this amazing panel. Kristen, anything we got to wrap up in regards yeah, to... Yeah, it's $15 for non-members, Perfect. 12 for members, so you could join at the door if you want and get a membership. And the doors open at 6, 
um, the panel starts at 6.45, and I'm just looking forward to hearing what your secrets are, Mark, and to our other two awesome panelists. So thank you so much for having me on. Nay, thank you, Christine. And for those of you who haven't gotten it yet, haven't been a chance to pick it up, Something Must Be Done About Prince Edward County is Kristen's book. Make sure you check that out, and there'll be, I'm sure, waves and waves more coming in the future. Kristen, thanks for the time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. Our featured interview is brought to you by 804RVA, which is currently going through a rebrand. So if you can't find 804RVA, you will find Work and Friends. So shout out to Work and Friends, who is now our new sponsor. Uh, And I am really, really pleased to be joined by David Harris and Dontrice Brown. If you don't know or you haven't been following, there is an ongoing effort right now to rename the boulevard, the boulevard in Richmond, Virginia, for one of our most famous, famous, world-renowned global citizens, if you will, but the legendary Arthur Ashe. There is an undertaking to rename the boulevard Arthur Ashe Boulevard, and I'm joined by David Harris, who is the nephew of Arthur Ashe, who is leading this effort. Uh, and he is accompanied by Don Treese Brown, who is also working on this effort. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So now let's talk about let's talk about where we are right now, and then we'll go backwards, if that makes sense. Okay. But where are we right now? How close are you guys with your effort to rename Arthur Ashe Boulevard? Or to rename the Boulevard? I'm already I'm speaking it into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, to rename the Boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Where are we right now? Right now, we are. are we, it has been advanced to city council to a city council vote on the 11th of February, so, 6 p.m. So it is going up in front of the council in February, 6 p.m., and that's when they'll have some public comment. Correct. Correct. They'll have some debate. Correct. Now, any individual like myself, I would think that this is a slam dunk. Right. I know better in Richmond. There is nothing that is a slam dunk in Richmond. Absolutely not. And so tell us a little bit about kind of the process, how it came about that you wanted to. This is not the first time that this has been attempted. This is probably the most traction it it has gotten. Absolutely. Um, Everybody seems to be taking this very seriously. But tell me a little bit, uh, especially David, as a as a representative of the family. How did this come about? How did it get to where it is? Why is this important to the Ash legacy and the Ash family? It came about uh, with a, from a conversation that I had with somebody in reference to the uh, Arthur Ash building and the current state of disrepair that it is in. And so after, I guess, some soul searching and some, some, some thoughts and, and, and just thinking and uh, I guess going through some emotions of it, um, I realized that there was an opportunity to have two things accomplished. One was to um, impact RPS, which is Richmond Public School System, by saying that the building is in disrepair and it's been said that the RPS can't afford to renovate it so my thinking rationale was well let's tear down the building and earmark those funds that were slated for maintenance of the uh, maintenance for the building 
over a period of time, put it back into RPS system, RPS system, or, or for their, their budget. And then with that, keep the designation and the, the honoring my uncle's name at the same time by just renaming the boulevard, which I anticipated would be a cheap or a more fiscally responsible um, way of still honoring him, um, having recognition and allowing Richmond to benefit from his name. Being on the street, uh, his name is readily, uh, readily, readily identifiable. And with all the other changes and redevelopment they were speaking of, what has been spoken of about the Boulevard and the Scott's Edition, I was like, this would be a great win for all of us to enjoy and to have a good drawing, a, a drawing space. So this is a good point because you mentioned that there is the authorized center that's currently on Boulevard. It's owned by Richmond Public Schools. Right. And now, is there, as, or were you aware down, obviously, everything in Richmond Public Schools, there's a maintenance issue, right? Yes. There's always talking about, obviously, not just buildings that are owned by RPS, but school, you know, the actual schools, right? right there's just, right. there's a, there's not enough money to renovate, update, and keep these buildings intact. And so that's something that they're constantly trying to work through. Right. Was it on the table that you were aware of that that building was, was kind of slated to be removed or torn down or no? I hadn't had any conversation with any. Well, I had a slight conversation. It was just said, hey, you know, there were there had been roamings or rumors about it. Mm -hmm. So this is that was a conversation I had maybe two or three years ago. So um, what to do with the author? Because there was a conversation right. like several years ago with the baseball stadium right, right what to do right. with basically all of that slab of right. boulevard would it right. be torn down for retail would they move the stadium right. somewhere else right. so there's always been especially in the last five years there's been this swirling that the not just the author ash center but the right. baseball stadium may go that whole thing may be renovated exactly. for commercial space so then is that when kind of the wheel started turning about what to do with yeah and, and my think my thinking like i said my thinking was well since this is an issue, I don't want you to think that as as us as a family would would hinder you from redevelopment because of the name. You know, you, the building has been there for thirty some odd years or what have you. You know, I didn't want them to think. I didn't want the, the city if they had to make that decision, that hard decision to tear that tear the down building. I wanted them to know that I was in support of it. Um, however, but if you're going to tear down the building, at least still give us some type of still give us an honor um, and presence of his name on the boulevard because the building's been there for a long time. So so then the next step in this kind of process was you guys got second district city councilwoman Kim Gray involved. Right. right? So how did how did that come about? Kim Gray is the one that's sponsoring the paper so she seems to be right, yeah. uh, in full support of this right. but how did uh, how did the interactions go? Uh, with Kim Gray that uh, that went great. Um you know, I, you know, I asked the question to her, and from that point, we said, "Well, let's let's talk to some of the stakeholders, uh, especially with the the Scott's Edition Business Association, which has been a great uh, supporter and 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 stating stating their position on it, because they knew that the whole area is going through a resurgence and and and, and a rebranding, and they're looking they're looking at growth and they're looking at the opportunity to generate." tax revenue for the city and so um, initially I talked to their executive board and 
they supported the pitch, um, if you will. And then after that, they invited me to their to their general body meeting. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, I spoke to the general body meeting. You know, I had a lot of head nods, a lot of agreements, a lot of agreement, uh, folks in agreements. And so then we, the news got wind of it, and sure. then it started snowballing. And I want to bring Don Trees in as well. Um, Don Trees, you've been working along, David, on this project. One of the things that you mentioned was just the significance of the boulevard, that street itself being renamed in honor of Arthur Ashe. Mm-hmm. Bring, tell, tell the people that are listening, what do you feel the significance of having that particular street renamed for Arthur Ashe? Well, I think um, Richmond is a historical city. Everything about Richmond is tied back to some history and so it's important that we continue the legacy of the history of Richmond the boulevard leads to the tennis courts where Arthur could not play Uh, the significance of the thought of how the city has changed how the city has grown and the positive impact that it will show with all of us coming together in an effort to show not only each other, but the world, what it looks like when folks can come together for the greater good. So if I'm getting this right, obviously for the family and obviously for everybody working on this project, this is bigger than a just a renaming of a street. This is yeah. maybe possibly, if you will, a statement on kind of growth and transformation of the city at large. Without question. And, you know, a lot of times I, I tell folks that it's more than just the name. We're not just renaming the boulevard just for renaming sake. This has such an impact and it, it shows the character of our city. It shows the passion and the purpose of our city to be better than we were yesterday and to do it by standing on the shoulders of an individual whose character his integrity and everything that he believed in was in support of everyone you can't even you can't get better than that you can't you can't get a better story than that from a hometown hero world known and everything that he stood for with the potential and the idea of where the city of Richmond wants to actually grow and go into. This is a perfect opportunity. It sounds to me like a perfect opportunity. It sounds to you, and I'm sure David and the Ash family is a perfect opportunity. There has been some pushback, right? There's been some yes. opposition in regards to naming the boulevard. To me, some of that opposition, the, the surface opposition, right. sounds very trivial in regards to, you know, kind of financially changing the, you know, the cost that's associated with financially changing street signs mm-hmm. or signs on 95 or something of that nature. What is, what has your read been, and David, you can answer this as well, but what has y'all's read been to the opposition, the reason behind the opposition, um, what have you just been hearing as mm-hmm. you've been lobbying for this proposal? Uh, from from my standpoint, what I've been hearing is inconvenience. Um, 
we got to get all our stationery redone. <laughs> um, how is the mail going to get delivered to my address? Um, it may get lost now. Um, you know, we've had some some opposition in regards to. Um, I grew up on Boulevard. You know, all of my memories on Boulevard. If it's renamed, then I lose all of that. Well, you're not changing the street. Absolutely. <laughs> the physical street. You're just naming the yeah. name of this. And it'll, they'll still have Boulevard in there. Absolutely. <laughs> so th those are some of the things sure. that... that um, sure. And then the, the, the biggest thing, and David, had we, we had discussed this earlier, but um, some folks feel like they were not brought in early enough. That's a good point, and, and we, would, we do want to bring David in back yeah. in this, and, and either one of you can answer, but I do, do want to hear from David on the process in regards to people that say it hasn't been an open process, either you know the family or Kim Gray is trying to ram this in or in a shorter period of time. What's your kind of response to individuals that say there hasn't been enough open dialogue? Ooh, well, <clears throat> we offered... We offered that dialogue uh, an opportunity for that. Um, I mean, we booked the VMFA. I mean, what place is bigger? Mm -hmm. What place is more prominent? And it's right in their neighborhood. So we made it convenient. Um, uh, Alex Nurgis, he was he was generous enough. He even comped us parking. <laughs> so the parking wasn't an issue. I mean, you know, nobody had to come downtown. Um, and find parking so you know, we were right there and so with the with that you know like i said the, the the news media got wind of it and 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 released it sooner than i would have liked and before we could have had other conversations with groups and etc but however we did do we did some due diligence by you know generating a website um you know we even did some we even that drone footage of the boulevard you know it, it showed the building from one end to the other um it was it was this was not an opportunity for us to try and disenfranchise a neighborhood because you can't do that i mean um as an african-american i've already I already understand what that feels like and so i would dare not try and do that to a whole community um but do you, i mean so there been there's been a form, maybe not as many as some people would have liked, but then there's also that public comment period that's happening at the at the city council member themselves. The city absolutely, council absolutely. Themselves. And they had they had a public comment period um, at the last left meeting, the okay. uh, land use mm -hmm. meeting. So they had opportunity to speak then. You know. So now, for those of you who don't know, obviously direct descendants of Arthur Ashe or the family um, in that way. Why is it from a from y'all's perspective, from the family's perspective? Why is it important for this city, uh, in this community, especially kind of the boulevard themselves? Why is it important to for for the city to recognize the legacy of Arthur Ashe more so, say, than than they have? Because like we were just talking about this as well. You know, Arthur Ashe did have the honor, uh, I believe, in the eighties. Of integrating Monument Avenue, there's a there's a author ash statue on Monument Avenue. And for those of you who didn't live through that, I did. I remember the hell that was caught by Absolutely, white yeah. white supremacists. I remember mm -hmm. that was the first time I really heard the name David Duke. Right, right. David Duke right. was here leading rallies opposed mm -hmm. to having author ash on Monument mm -hmm. Avenue. But 
why is what's the significance or for the family for Richmond to properly honor Arthur Ashe with this with this tribute? I'll be honest. It's a dis- it's disappointing to see that other cities have outdone us. Um, New York City put up a whole stadium. The U.S. Open. I've been there. Arthur yeah. Ashe Stadium exactly. in the U.S. Open. I've exactly. been there. Yep, absolutely. And so, it, cathedral. And, yeah, and then they decided to reinvest and put a roof on the building. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and you know, there are other monuments and, and tributes and et cetera to them. But, however, we should be the hub. Without a question, we should be the hub. If you want to find out anything, Arthur asked, you should not have to drive or fly or take the train to New York City and go to the U.S. Open to experience who he is, who he was, um, how he went about things, and etc. This should be this should be something we have here in Richmond. So, um, without trying to say, hey, I'm pushing a bunch, a huge narrative. My thing is, since we since we don't have, you know, huge buildings and et cetera, at least we can have a street where folks can say, you know what, that is Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Maybe we can stop and take a look, find out what is happening in Richmond. Um, see what kind of restaurants and breweries we have, which we have a lot of now. Sure. And, um, and, and what the community is like. I mean, it, it's an opportunity for somebody to stop and say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I want to lay lay some roots here," because it looks like a it's it's a it's a town that is that is progressing and doing big things, and doing them with regard to their history and regard to the people of the city. So, um, for me, it's it's a it's a big thing. I mean, it's you know, I, I grew up with them. I had my interactions to, totally different from the world, and but however. There's nothing, there's not too many things he did not touch that impact us socially, um, emotionally. Um, and if, if you look at it, there's so many things that are different now because of what he went through. I mean, at this point now, um, we can go to a hospital now and get a blood transfusion and not worry about getting an infectious disease of some sort because of that. Sure. You know, so there's some things that he did. You know, AIDS research. I mean, we have AIDS patients, AIDS and HIV patients living longer now, where it was once a death sentence. Now folks are still able to live and still enjoy a, a long and prosper, prosperous life. Um, even for folks in, from the American Heart Association, you know, heart attacks and et cetera. I mean, he was an athlete that had a heart attack, and you, you know, it makes you wonder, like, wait a minute, are you serious? Why would a, an athlete, you know, in, you know, in shape, playing – two out of three or three out of five sets to win a championship or, or a tournament, how do they have an heart attack? So, so like I said, he, he touched a lot of things and, you know, helped foster some, a lot of opportunities for people with whatever, with whatever he, he touched. And it's amazing the way you uh, articulate that because while uh, the people that are clearly in opposition see it as a detriment, I think there's a larger population that can see it as an asset right. in regards to people coming to Richmond and checking out what Arthur Ashe Boulevard is all about. Maybe even learning more about some of the other things, some mm-hmm. of the ancillary things that we may not think of right. just by having this tribute uh, on, on the boulevard in Richmond. And it, it does, I think, be another step. It could be another step to 
kind of Richmond turning the page on a narrative where, like it or not, I think a lot of people think it's memorable, but it's not necessarily positive. Right. right. So there's a right. memorable history of Richmond and the Confederacy and all of those things, but it's not necessarily a positive remembrance, even in the most kind of, if you're looking at it as, as, as straightforward as possible, no one says, oh, it's great that this happened. But they're, they, you know, they, they see statues and they don't necessarily know how they were put up or why they were put up. And they don't understand the history of white supremacy behind a lot of those things. Um, so this is one, just one way of turning the page and moving on to a future that may be more inclusive than than the past. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that, that we, I, first of all, I, I got to say, it's, it's a joy to watch the to be a part of the journey and see the relationship that David had with Arthur. And Arthur was one of my um, idols that I looked up to. Um, and just being closer to him through David is great. Just looking at pictures and hearing stories about his uncle and those types of things. Uh, I think it's important that we also focus on that educational piece. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that folks don't know about Arthur Ashe, uh, what people look at him as a social activist, but David just articulated some things that he did from a, a, a health medical standpoint. Uh, he fought in our military. He was a lieutenant in our military. Um, and uh, there's also a, 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 an important part that if you look at what he's done, and I always and I ask folks this question all the time. What is it that Arthur Ashe did that you would not be proud of? Right. Sure. I mean, I don't I don't, I don't know an answer to that. But. There, there is there's. There's nothing. And and out of all this, the, the stories and, and the research that, that I've been doing myself in hearing all the great things about his character and everything that he stood for um, to take that and 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 put that in the story of Richmond based on the history is is just something that is exciting to be a part of I mean look at look I mean we, we talked earlier about 400 years ago the first slave stepped foot in in Virginia to where we are now talking about renaming a boulevard after someone who has so much character and legacy um, for this for this city is is amazing. Well, we're gonna have to leave it there. We know that the proposal is out. People could probably can people read it on the like the city council. Yes, website? they can read it there. Um, February eleventh, six p.m. is the city council vote. You mentioned there was a website. Yes, ArthurAshBoulevard.com. Um, Please go and support. Uh, we would also like, if you're in favor of, please, please, please contact your council. Right. Send letters. Uh, give them phone calls. Email them. Whatever you can do. Come show up and support on February 11th. Uh, we need as many folks as we can to show um, the city the support that we have for this initiative. And that is the voice you just heard was Dontrice Brown. David Harris, the nephew of Arthur Ashe, is, is here talking about the proposal to rename the boulevard in honor of his uncle, Arthur Ashe. 
it's just a it's one of those things from the outside looking in that to me it seems like a no brainer. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. <laughs> I know uh, Richmond has a lot of things that they're kind of wrestling with, but one of the things that always did, stands out to me is do we want to be on the right side or the wrong side of history? This proposal seems like it would actually place us directly on the right side of history as we move forward. So best of luck, gentlemen, as you Absolutely. move forward. Thank you, sir. And we'll be back. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll wrap up the program after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway, that is another episode for us. Rolling 2019. 2019, we're staying focused. (laughs) Focus, man. Uh, Make sure tomorrow, if you are around the Firehouse Theater, 6 p.m., James River Writers, I will be there on a panel. So uh, make sure you check that out. As always, you can follow the Cheats Movement. Please follow the Cheats Movement. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a Peace. comment. We don't have enough comments, Chi-Chi. Yeah, man. We want to hear from you guys. Rate us. Hopefully, we get you five. We get five stars. Hopefully. Make you make a comment. I don't know if... Debate. You know, let's... You know, <laughs> you don't have to agree. I don't know if our segments today is going to give us five stars, but... <laughs> Ooh, yeah, probably give us Give us five stars. We really need it. Uh, we appreciate it. And so we'll be back, man. Uh, for the what are you listening to, Gigi, on the way out? Oh my gosh, have you heard of this young lady named Nicole Bus? No, I have not. Oh my gosh, she is bringing that good R and B feeling back. She has a song called "You," and she flipped the Wu Tang Cream sample to perfection. There we go. So we're gonna check out Nicole Bus. There's a bunch of local hip hop albums out. Make sure you check out Noah O. DJ Mentos's Analog Suspects is out. Fly Anakin Twami's Emergency Raps Four is out. It's some dope music coming. Grace, my man Name Brand just dropped an instrumental joint name uh, called Grace. Make sure you check that out. Shout out to everybody. I was out at the RVA Rap Elite event uh, last weekend. So shout out to Radio B and all of them for doing keeping hip-hop alive in Richmond. Definitely. Everybody that's working on it. There's so many to name, but make sure you check it out. We'll be back uh, two weeks. We'll nice. be back. Cheats Movement on WRIR. Until next time, Woo-hoo. we see it.